It's an edition of Making Money that you really should be paying attention to. Ron Hebert is the financial coach, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Been an investor for years. Ron and I have known each other. We talk about investing all the time. We touched briefly on this a few weeks back. ESG, Ron. First of all, tell us what it means and tell us why we really should wake up and pay attention to this. Well, first of all, ESG stands for Environmental social, and governance. And this is a list of standards that companies are expected to meet before they're considered investable by many major institutions and socially conscious investors. So let's break this down. Environmental, that's the criteria considered uh, or considering how a company performed as a steward of nature. Social criteria examine how it manages relationships with its employees, its suppliers, its customers, and the communities where it works. And governance deals with the company's leadership, their executive pay, how financially honest or how much integrity they have, their relationship with stakeholders and and shareholders especially. So these criteria have made it and are evolving very quickly right now. So what's happening is that you either meet these economic social and governance criteria, and you appear on institutions and socially conscious investor buy lists, or you don't. And obviously, I don't have to walk through the ramification if you don't, but there are serious ramifications to this and implications that investors need to be paying attention to. And of course, if you're 60, 70, 80, where the bulk of the investors are, you're going, eh, this is just another fad and it's going to go away. And I don't need to pay any attention to this. And, and these young kids, they'll get over it just like we did in the 60s with Haight-Ashbury and the hip, hippie movement. Well, no, because this stuff is coming into law and we're going to be talking about that in a few minutes. But you need to pay attention because this whole infrastructure of ESG is entirely changing the investment landscape as we know it. And I think we know who's driving this. It's the younger generations, right? They're paying a lot of attention to this particular stuff. And, of course, it creeps on you, up on you gradually like a frog in boiling water, you know. And millennials and Gen Z are slowly becoming the dominant majority in society, the workforce, and in positions of power. They tend to make investments that align with their values, and these values carry... Uh, higher weighting in their decision-making process than just pure profitability. Now, for decades, baby boomers made up the highest percentage of the working population and thus ruled the economic roost. Well, our reign officially ended last year. In 2020, the millennial generation, who were born between 1981 and 1996, surpassed boomers in total numbers to become the largest factor in the workforce. And going forward, our generation and the silent generation, which was before us, will continue to shrink due to attrition, and our influence will subsequently wane. And as millennials take control of the economic and political levers, their value set is going to overwhelm how business is conducted in this country. So we need to be paying attention to that, because if you've had any discussions with a millennial, and I know, Gord, that 
you have some millennials. I've got two I have of them. I've got two of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've talked to them. Don't they think differently than we do? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, they'll, they'll come to me for advice on things and, and specifically about investing, and I'll offer up what I think, and then I'll get a somewhat jaundiced look from them, right? And I'll say, hey, that's fine. It's your money. Here's my take on it. You guys make the decision. And this has become a, a big thing. I mean, currently, according to uh, a trade group that I was reading about for sustainable in- investing, $17 trillion worth of assets in the U.S. are now being managed using ESG criteria. That's, That's a big a number. huge amount. Of- and the number represents about a third of the total investment assets in the U.S. And the number of institutions that are using ESG criteria is up 42% in 2018 and 19 alone. So ESG themes include climate change, anti-corruption, board issues, sustainable natural resources, executive pay and diversity. And this is big stuff. This is where um, corporations are kind of coming under the microscope. And these issues or themes are looked at first before profitability is looked at. So we need to be aware of what ESG funds are buying and what they're not. And their influence on who becomes a winner and loser is literally growing every day. Executive compensations is one of those keys there, Ron. And I, you know, I'm somebody, I don't mind anybody making an honest living, but boy, you really sometimes have to sit back and go, are you kidding me? You're getting how much? And that's part of, that's part of the issue here, right? They're saying, no, 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 we got to straighten this. We got to balance the scale a little better here. And frankly, this show is not an anti-ESG show. Because there's many factors in ESG investing that I wholeheartedly agree with. And, and certainly executive compensation, which has gotten way out of line in, in recent years. You know, many uh, CEOs are making far, far more as a percentage of what the average worker made than any time throughout history. And so you have to ask yourself, are they really contributing that much more or are they just re- requiring... Uh, or in, through greed, wanting a bigger and bigger piece of the total pie. So, you know, I think that ESG investing, there's, there's criteria that are coming to the fore, like compensation, that this stuff gets put under a microscope, and all of a sudden uh, a company's compensation package is too big. Well, you, there's an impetus to control that, Otherwise, you're just not going to be able to have the capital within your business. So there's, there's many sectors where ESG is, is right, and frankly, we ignored it many areas for much, much too long. I just read an article on, on ESG, ironically, just before we, we did this show, and it was an interesting take on it. Um, one of the things, this, there's a topic called greenwashing, and that's, some of that's going on right now, right? And that is something that's not necessarily good. No, and you had a, uh, an interesting comment on some research uh, you read about uh, ESG criteria and how they can be manipulated. And I think, Gord, you might want to share that. Well, what they showed was they showed a portfolio of 10 stocks, uh, ones that were fully ESG compatible and, and 10 that weren't. And you know what? I think there were two different stocks in the two portfolios. So... The portfolio that was growing outside of ESG standards was doing pretty well, and the one that was engaging in ESG standards was doing pretty well. So I thought to myself, well, which one of these would I go with? 
And what am I supposed to believe here? You and I have talked about this ad infinitum, Ron. It's tough to get really solid information these days. So you got to pay attention here and know what you're doing. You know, I used to ask students if they could differentiate a green socially conscious fund from a regular one by only looking at their investment portfolio. So I took a green fund and then I took a fund that was not green and I, I stroked out the name of the fund and I showed the class uh, these two different portfolios, and I asked them as a homework assignment to go home, look at the two funds, and see which uh, fund they thought was the ESG fund, which fund they thought was the non-ESG fund, and then to come back next week and explain their thoughts. And frankly, it was about 50-50. Uh, the students were, had very great difficulty. You know, it was about as accurate as flipping a coin. Of them being able to differentiate one from another. And that is changing. Europe is coming up with legislation that will force companies to identify the criteria they're using to justify their consideration in an ESG fund. And we're seeing rules in North America that are right around the corner that are going to quantify what being ESG is. So as a corporation, you'll have to go down a checklist and you'll have to meet a certain amount of criteria if you want to make it on these guys' lists. But until now, there's been a lot of greenwashing. Uh, companies saying that their environmental, social, governance criteria meet standards when it's really foggy if they're doing so at best. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of the ESG-driven corporate changes that, that we're going to be seeing here. Like, what's up? Finance is a, is a big one, obviously. Well, recently, Canada's six largest chartered banks joined the UN-convened Net Zero Banking Alliance. That's the N. ZBA, and the goal is to lend money to companies that reduce or eliminate CO2 emissions and withhold funds from those that don't. And can you imagine how this is going to change the landscape? Is that if you're not considered worthy as an ESG candidate, and you you all of a sudden, if you find that the criteria don't meet uh, what you're doing, uh, you're going to be literally frozen out of, of the capital markets. So you won't be able to make loans or anything like that. And there's some industries that are key here, right, in, in that particular sector. You know, agriculture, cement, real estate, fossil fuel development. And I've got a whole list of, of ones that are a checklist that we're going to be going through here in a, in a, in a couple of minutes that really uh, fit uh, those criteria. And so if you hold those investments, if a company is generating enormous cash flow and doesn't need to go to the markets, that's one thing. But if they're really dependent on loans and bank financing to move the needle forward, uh, you've got to be paying attention to this. Uh, what I thought, found was, was really interesting was Royal Dutch Shell, Gord. Uh, they pledged to reduce its, their greenhouse gas emissions by 20% within a decade and be net zero by 2050. Now, I thought for one of the, I think for the second or third biggest energy company in the world, that those were pretty lofty goals, and I was wondering whether they'd be able to meet those um, because that's a big stretch. That's hard work, but it appears that's not enough. A Dutch court ordered the oil producer to slash emissions by 45% by 2030 compared to 2019 levels, and I don't even know if this will be able to happen. That, uh, that is a big move, and I mean, Royal Dutch Shell are best known, of course, for producing oil, so... Their they're kind of backs are against the wall, aren't they? Yeah, so what do you do when a court orders you to uh, change what you consider to be realistic 
And, you know, you put out a plan there and investors have looked that plan over and, you know, uh, these guys could be net zero by uh, 2050, but it's going to take an enormous amount of work just to meet that. And now a Dutch court is saying, well, nah, sorry, guys, that's not good enough. You're going to literally have to more than double your emissions uh, reduction by 2030. And that's less than eight years now. So, you know, I some of these laws that governments and courts are coming out with, I, I think they're totally unattainable. But that's that's another point that uh, we're going to talk about just down the road here. So publicly traded companies are, are obviously under a lot of microscopes right now. Well, Canada's the first jurisdiction worldwide to require diversity disclosure beyond gender. So diversity disclosure rules apply to all federally incorporated public companies effective uh, January 1st, 2020, so two years ago. And shareholders will receive information on the company's policies and practices related to diversity on the board of directors, senior management, and they're going to have to include the number and percentage of members on the board and senior management who are women, Aboriginal persons, members of visible minorities, and persons with disabilities. Now, this is starting with jurisdictions for disclosure. In other words, telling the public, well, how are you doing? But expect the next step is that there will be legislation requiring you to have a specific diversity um, band that you not only have to disclose, but you actually have to adopt and your hiring practices are going to have to change to meet that. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. Okay, oh, the world is changing, isn't it, Ron? Government, uh, where does this all fit into their plans? Well... Here again, the government is coming out with actual laws uh, changing the dynamics of, frankly, everything in the workplace. For example, it's perfectly acceptable for Ottawa to bar grant money to nonprofits, depending on whether they support abortion. So whether you do support it or whether you don't is another issue. But governments are stepping in and uh, they're laying out guidelines of where they're going to put their money as well. And so this is going to change especially companies that are dependent on government activity because the government is going to have criteria, and if you don't meet that criteria, well, there's going to be uh, no grants, no uh, special advantages that you're going to be able to get. So a person has to know this and has to be able to review their portfolio just to be able to analyze where those risks are. Okay, I think the question begs to be asked here, Ron. Is this is this aspirational, or is there a lot of fact behind this? You know, I could see somebody being on the fence here. Well, the application of ESG criteria is haphazard. I mean, all you have to do is look at the mess that uh, they've created uh, with environmental criteria in places like California and Texas and Ontario, where you have blackouts. You have extremely high costs for electricity, especially when they have their brownouts. You've got power rationing. You've got uh, literally economies that grind to a complete halt. You've got industry that uh, can't get the power to run their factories. So this stuff is crazy. And, you know, just an example of this is uh, the new U.S. administration uh, wants to restore the $7,500 credit a person receives when purchasing an electric car. Well, the $7,500 would reduce CO2 emission, emissions by 10 tons over the lifetime of a vehicle, and that's great. 
Yet the cost of subsidizing U.S. power producers to cut 10 tons of CO2 is only 60 bucks. So, you know, are you going to give someone a grant for $7,500 to cut 10 tons? Or could you subsidize U.S. power producers to cut 10 tons of CO2 with only $60? Spending the money directly on reducing commissions, uh, emissions from big emitters like power producers is 125 times cheaper than subsidizing electric cars. And we only have so much money, we need to spend it wisely. And unfortunately, there is no plan for this stuff. It's just legislated helter-skelter, a little bit here, a little bit there. And that's going to create a lot of volatility in the markets because people just don't understand what's going on. And money, frankly, is not being spent wisely. So the implementation of ESG is not going to be a smooth ride. I think it's going to be a very bumpy ride. I think even if you're only paying marginal attention here over the last, pick your time frame, if you haven't realized that money's not being spent wisely by governments, you are not paying attention. <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay, so what about industries that are, are not in ESG investing mandates? So these are the ones that I guess are going to be taboo. And right at the top of that list is defense contractors. Well, I don't think they're going away, are they? No, they're not going away. And, of course, I still don't know how um, governments are going to stick handle around this stuff because um, the largest spender on defense is the United States government. In fact, they spend more than the next seven countries combined. So defense contractors are on that list. Extractors of fossil fuels are on that list. And it's interesting that, you know, of course, um, you've got the United States and Canada in full court press trying to, to contain and, and slowly uh, shut down fossil fuel production. But in the meantime, you look and we're getting between about, the, the U.S. is getting between 16 and 25 million barrels of um, fuel a month from Russia. So, you know, there's a lot of contradictions going on, which, uh, frankly, right now, governments aren't talking about. They're trying to ignore, you know, any of the questions that get asked when they meet the press. Uh, they change the subject almost immediately. And on top of that list, you've got gambling, you've got tax, tobacco, you've got <clears throat> natural resource and manufacturing companies that are big polluters. And it's funny, most renewable companies are using renewable energy, but they're certainly not green. You've got cement plants, you've got steel producers, you've got companies that source from third world countries that pollute and exploit their workers. You've got firearms manufacturers, you've got companies involved in animal abuse, you've got companies engaged in sexual misconduct. You know, you've got companies that aren't inclusive in their hiring practices of racial and cultural minorities. So you've got a long list here uh, and you've also got companies that source from third world countries that pollute and exploit their workers. So there's a long list of companies and industries that aren't going to meet these mandates. And they're going to be finding it tougher and tougher to stick handle their way around in a world that, frankly, is using ESG mandates to determine who gets the money and who doesn't. And just sitting here on the sidelines, I would say, gee, if we don't have steel and we don't have cement... I, that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> I could, oh, you, you know. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just those those rational, logical comments, Gord. They, it just begs the question: who's who's in charge here? You know, are the monkeys in charge of the zoo? It almost seems that way. So I'm saying that 
this is not going to be an easy transition. And because so much of this it has not been thought out that clearly, it's going to make um, it's just going to make investing a very difficult place to be, um, especially in some of these areas like well, defense. Do you have it or don't you? Well, uh, the U.S. government, I doubt, is going to quit spending money. But there again, a lot of the institutions won't finance it. So how's this going to work out? The answer is I don't have a clue. So you have to be careful. And, and anytime you get lots of investors not really having a clear understanding of what the future looks like, that's when you get volatility. Road gets very rocky. Okay, so implications for investors. And there are two questions here. Fire away. Yeah, the first question is, what side of this divide is your portfolio going to be on? And whether you like it or not, ESG makes no difference. Massive changes are coming that will affect how society and institutions are governed and how people invest. So where's your portfolio going to be? You need to spend some time thinking about these things and what your portfolio looks like. And if you have non-ESG investments, some of them, like, like I say, I think defense is going to do fine because I don't think defense spending is going to go away. But there's so many other areas where ESG criteria are going to have a huge impact on companies' profitability. And, of course, their profitability often determines where their share price is. So you need to sit down and take a look at your portfolio and just ask, what do I have and what are the implications to this? And the second point is how aggressive or volatile do you want your portfolio to be? You know, companies that are transitioning, like many energy companies, like Royal Dutch Shell, is saying that they want to make the transition uh, to being uh, carbon neutral by 2050. Well, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs as judges uh, change their plans with, with court rulings. And how do you play that? So this passage into the new ESG world is happening in an unstructured way with no consideration being given to the economic consequences it's creating. You know, of course, we're very, very big on ESG in Europe and um, North America. But how are we going to compete with countries where it's not nearly as big a criteria? I.e. China and India. Oh, exactly. Vietnam. And and, and the list goes on and on. Are we going to have a two-tier world? There's a lot of unanswered questions. But many of these unanswered questions... um, lead to confusion. And since there's no transition plan and any idea how long all this is going to take, this is going to make sure that there's, ensure that there's a bumpy ride along the way, energy shortages, global supply uncertainty, increased regulatory red tape, inflation, and the list goes on and on. So as we transition through this, expect it to be bumpy. I just hearken back to your list. Gambling is on that list, so there's a real gamble here. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good way to, uh, to put it. And, of course, you know, if you buy gambling stocks, one of the attractions that always, has always been for many investors is that the house always wins. So the odds on any of the games you play are stacked in the company's favor. So the and government's going to those- come along and say you've got to let people win more? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. And, and uh, you know, the crazy thing is in gambling is if you're good enough to, if you can count cards and you're good enough to beat the system, they throw you out and they don't allow you back in. So um, how this is all going to, to wash out 
is going to be very, very interesting. And I think uh, in many ways, the next decade is going to be the most interesting investment decade uh, we've had in my lifetime because there's so many uncertainties that are going to have to be answered. And we're just not sure how there is going to happen with things like, like ESG and so many other issues that are really uh, front and center on the investment stage. Well, there you go. That's one to chew on for a while. You might want to go back and listen to this one two or three times and then sit down and, and make a plan. Talk to your financial advisor and say, hey, where do we stand on this thing? We don't want to get caught short here. It's something you have to pay attention to. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Making Money. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.